He is the way and the truth and the life. We have to die in order to live. Well, good morning, Father. It's been a few minutes. Good morning, John Ray. It's been uh, a few weeks. A few minutes, yeah. The, the cool kids say minutes now. Uh, it's been a hot minute. That's what that's what the kids <laughs> I don't know if it's been a hot minute. It's pretty chilly outside. I love it. Yeah? Love it. So here we are on episode 21. Remember, we could have ended 2021 on an episode, but you chose not to record for two weeks. It's, it's for, it was for the best. It was it? Yeah. yeah. They got tired of hearing us, right? Yeah. The, uh, but it's been a few weeks, and I'm happy to be back. Uh, the kids are back in school, and, you know, things are kind of just the holiday season's kind of gone, and now it's, it's going back to... Um, I guess what I, we, I call ordinary time because we're in ordinary time, but then just the ordinary way of life, the pace of life is just going back to normal. It's where we experience God in the ordinary moments, right? Yep. How the how everything just grows naturally and that we grow in our relationship with God through the ordinary means of life. Sure. So um, you have a big trip coming up. Well, the March for Life. Yeah. The March for Life. Well, uh, I'm going, I'm leaving with John Paul the Great Academy. Um, they've, they've always invited me. Uh, so this will be my third time going. Uh, this time, first time as a priest. And uh, I'm excited to go with all the kids and everything. Um, I know a lot of the families um, and a lot of the teachers at John Paul the Great Academy. And so it'll be, it'll be great. And I have... Um, then, you know, that's kind of a sidebar, but there's a Dominican house for the Dominicans, the Eastern province, which is a religious order, right next to the National Basilica. And so I have a lot of friends that are over there. And so anytime I go, I make a little stop to go see them all and everything like that. Oh, that's so cool. I'm excited to see them. Well, I'm glad John Paul the Great keeps inviting you. I'm glad to know somebody likes you. Well, they're the only ones that ever invite <laughs> me. That's, that's the joke. Uh, you know, they asked me one year, I said, hey, do you go on the March for Life? And I said, no. And I said, why not? I said, no one's ever invited me. And I don't press, you know, things. And, and so if someone doesn't invite me, then I just, you know. I you just, just don't go. Yeah. And yeah. so. Uh, they because said, you don't really like the babies that much. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, but and so they, they invited me one year. And they still, to this day, the only school to ever invite me uh, for the March for Life. And I'm not saying I want to get pressed, you know, by 20 schools or something. But. Sure. Uh. I enjoy going. Uh, they invite me, and so I'm happy to go again. That's cool. Um, so, what is the March for Life? I don't want to assume that everybody that's listening knows. Mm-hmm. The March for Life is the biggest pro-life movement uh, march that happens within the United States. Uh, typically, the numbers um, I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm inflating them. It's anywhere from around 300 to 600,000 people that go. I think you're uh, right. Yeah, and I think one year it got up to over 700,000 people. They all walk uh, in Washington, D.C. They do a pro-life walk. Uh, It's a peaceful protest and uh, protesting the Roe versus Wade um, bill. That was passed in the 1960s, uh, allowing for... 1973. 1970s. It's okay. That was before your time. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, so in the 1970s, um, where they said uh, abortion is a right and it's legal. Um, and so, but 
of course we could poke holes in it all day but uh one of the things i'll just say this real quick because i meet a lot of people they say you know i don't agree with abortion but it's you know i can't i can't tell people what to do or anything like that the very short answer to reply to that is exactly what Roe versus Wade uh, said. It should be safe, legal, and rare. And so my question is, why should it be rare? Or why is it sad that you know people have to have an abortion? Or why don't you personally agree with? And the answer is always the same. Well, it's because it's a baby. Mm. And, uh, and if that's the case, then there's absolutely nothing that would justify it. And that's not, uh, if it, it's rare because, or it should be rare because it's a sad procedure. Why is it sad? Well, it's because it's a baby. And I said, oh, well, if it's a baby, there's absolutely nothing under the sun that would ever justify doing that. Yeah. And so that's kind of just a, a short little, um, you know, shooting from the hip defense in regards to, uh, pro-life. Sure. And as Catholics, uh, we are called to stand up for the dignity and sanctity of human life in, in all mm-hmm. stages. You know, I mean, we I think sometimes we pigeonhole pro-life to the abortion topic alone. Yeah. And that's a big deal because we're killing innocent lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's elderly and it's 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 all walks of life. Yep. From conception to natural death. Yep. Right. Natural death. And abortion is the uh, the the biggest and the most heated and the, you know, the biggest topic within Catholic circles because before we could ever talk about anything, before we could talk about you know equality, dignity, anything like that, uh, equal pay, we have to be alive. Yeah. And so the right to life is the very first and most fundamental. Right of a human person. And we stand up for the rights of the mothers, too. And so if you're somebody that's listening to this who was victimized by abortion because you just didn't know what you're doing, um, the church has an arm where we uh, minister to people in your particular situation called Project Rachel. And if you would like more information about that, please reach out. We would be happy to connect you. Absolutely. I had my uh, spiritual director tell me for preaching, we comfort the afflicted and we afflict the comforted. Yep. Right. And so uh, someone that is suffering with anything, God's mercy extends and has no boundaries. Because let's not pretend that sin's a lie, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're all duped into any kind of sin, no matter what the sin is, because Satan has tricked us that it's something that we should do. Yeah. So, um, well, great. I'm glad that you're going to be going to the Right to Life March. Um, we send you with our prayers. Uh, you mentioned the Eastern Rite, and so I just want to take another little detour. The um, Eastern Rite? Did, didn't you mention the okay. Eastern Church? Okay. No? Okay. Not, not right now, but I'm all about I, I thought you said, who did you say you go visit when you go? Oh, the Eastern Province Dominicans. Okay. Okay, so, but. Uh, That's not I, part of the Eastern Rite. No. But okay, I, well, I took us down a little tangent, so let's go there. Yeah. What's <laughs> the, the Eastern Rite? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it, it, we have different rites in, in the in the Catholic. We have the Eastern Rite. We have the Western Rite. We're in the Roman Rite. We are the Roman Latin Rite. Yep. And so, anyone that comes to Sunday Mass, uh, you are the Roman Latin Rite. Roman because, uh, of course, I uh, centralized in Rome with the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Um, and then Latin because all of our documents, all of the, the universal language of the church is Latin. Mm-hmm. And we're the West, right? We're in the Western part of the world. Uh, John Ray is referring to the Eastern 
Catholics. Uh, now, of course, the Holy Father is still their pope, but they're mostly in the East. Okay. And their worship is different than ours. And how does that differ from the Byzantine, right? Like, I, I'm taking us on a little tangent right mm-hmm. now. So there's different rites. Uh, the Byzantine rite would fall under the Eastern rite. Okay. Uh, there's the Armenian rite. There's a, and we're going to get into a lot of liturgical theology. but uh, And so there's different rites. The East has a lot of them. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, what differentiates us other than uh, hemispheres? Is there anything? Uh, worship. So the way that we pray, the way that we uh, offer Mass okay. is different than the way that they offer Mass. The Church has never, the, the Catholic Church has never put the Holy Spirit in a box, mm. right? The Holy Spirit moves and grooves according to the person, right? Now, there's wrong ways to worship and there's sure. right ways to yeah. worship. Worship, And so the East, with their thousands of years of tradition and, the, and their customs and their, you know, how they live, their worship is, it would look completely different than ours, but it's because the way they, they live is completely different than ours. Their traditions are different than ours in the in the West, right? And so someone that lives in Syria is different than someone that lives in Italy okay. or America or Canada. And so that's why we have East and West is because we live and our cultures are different. Uh, now they still offer the sacrifice of the mass, the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord underneath the Eucharist, but uh, the, the way that they, that goes about, that unfolds, is different than ours. So just a few common examples. They chant everything. Mm-hmm. There's not a single spoken word. Now. In our rite, there's not supposed to be a single spoken word. Even the readings are supposed to be chanted. But uh, because of one thing or another, we have... have you heard Deacon Sammy chant? It's <laughs> a good thing that yeah. sometimes... <laughs> and so, um, we love you, Sammy. Yeah, Deacon so Sammy. That they chant everything. Um, another thing is that they have, uh, whenever they give communion, they actually mix the body and the blood together, and everyone receives kneeling and then they open their mouth and with a spoon they give communion right there so they kind of put the spoon above their mouth and then they turn it and so they receive both the body and the blood um that way and so but they receive and so that's just two and look if we if you yeah yeah, we could piece it all now i guess my last question and then we'll move on to last sunday's gospel which is one of my favorites Mm. um I, I guess they're all my favorite. Let's just be honest. Um, as Catholics in the Roman Rite, can we go to Mass in the Eastern Rite? Yes. And vice versa? Yes. Okay. Because we all acknowledge the same Pope. Yes. We are. We all have this exact same beliefs. The exact same beliefs in regards to East and West. There is kind of a branch that doesn't, and we call them Orthodox. But the Eastern Rites of the Catholic Church, uh, we have the exact same beliefs. They just worship differently. I know there's a few Eastern Rite churches in New Orleans. I've uh, been to a few of them. Beautiful. I mean, the worship is is divine. They well, call it the divine. They call it the divine liturgy. Yeah, it, the, the title of it is not Mass. They don't go to Mass. They go to the divine liturgy. Mm-hmm. And so it is, you can look up on YouTube, Divine Liturgy, and uh, you'll see a lot of the Eastern, uh, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, that's what I've been told. Um, 
anyway, my mind went to that when you mentioned mm-hmm. it. So, um, this past Sunday's gospel, there was a wedding. The wedding at Cana. You know why it's my favorite? Go ahead. Because Jesus likes wine as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> 180 gallons of fine wine. Yeah. So I remember I said in my homily, um, you know, it's 180 gallons of wine. How did they run out? And I said, well, it's because Jesus brought his disciples. <laughs> it's and, true. Uh, because it was 9 o'clock in the morning on Pentecost and they were drunk, remember? <laughs> no, they said, we have not. It's only 9 in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I said they brought his disciples and they liked wine even back then, mm. you know. Uh, but 180 gallons of wine, usually the uh, the weddings uh, back then last for a few days, uh, even up to a week, depending on the person. And wow. so these were big celebrations, big celebrations. Whew, I'm glad with two girls we don't do week-long weddings anymore. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the, someone was asking me uh, after Mass, I said, how did they afford that? And I said, ah, inflation, you know, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't that expensive. And, uh, you know, being... Man, everybody brought a plate. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and even being in a wine country, you know, uh, to have wine, to have ample wine was necessary. And mm-hmm. so to run out, was an extreme embarrassment. It was like running out of food while you live next door to the grocery store. Uh, it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, so or running out of food when you have stuff in the freezer. It's like, well, why didn't you just cook more? You could cook more right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, so. Tell us what you preached about. Were Were you at St. Pius this weekend? I was. Um, yes. Okay. I. I Saturday afternoon, I did a mass for the Boy Scouts. The one mass I didn't check. Uh, well, I did. I did uh, Saturday afternoon. I was uh, in north of Opelousas. Okay, you you uh, were at a campout. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was a celebrating oh, mass for some my, Boy Scouts. Uh, my godchild was there. He's mm-hmm. from Opelousas. Okay, but I think they joined up with the troop. So anyway. I had I had mass there, and then I had mass at five p.m. Sunday. Over here at St. Pius. I thought I saw Father Brady on the schedule for that one. No. Nope. Yeah, okay. so uh, we had a, a quick turnaround of events. Oh, I got you. I <laughs> the got morning you. of Sunday. Yeah, yeah, okay. The life, the life of a priest. All right, well, then I guess I'll have to go and grab that homily and put it out there. So um, so if you missed Father's homily. <laughs> it's coming. Uh, but what did I preach about this Sunday? The first, I wanted to preach about how Mary was at the mm. wedding. Big surprise, you preaching about Mary. Well, it's important because a lot of people use what our blessed Lord says, and he says, woman, what is that to me? Or what I said in the original Greek is, woman, what to thee to me? And then he said, my hour has not yet come. And so people see that as a rebuke of Mary, which is, uh, why would Jesus rebuke his mother? But uh, so I kind of painted the scene at first that uh, it's a wedding. It's a big wedding. It's a few days in, and Mary is already there. Uh, Mary most likely knew the couple. Um, she had friends in that part of uh, of the town, and Jesus and his disciples were not yet there. Uh, he was beyond the Jordan, grabbing his disciples, pulling them together for the mission. But Jesus shows up with all of his disciples, and Mary first brought to Jesus the problem. They have run out of wine. She notices our problems before we do, mm-hmm. because she's the first one to notice that they ran out of wine. And Jesus responds, woman, what is that to me? 
My hour has not yet come. The important thing to know about John is two things. There are, I believe, seven miracles. I hope I'm saying that. It's not eight. Seven. This is the first one. And the seventh one is seven is the number of completion is the cross. Right? And so, the uh, or the signs. The signs that he works. There we go. The signs that he works. This is the first one. Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Whenever Jesus says, my hour and gospel of John, he's always referring to the death, the passion, the suffering of Christ, mm-hmm. right? And so when he says, my hour has not yet come, Jesus is telling his mother that if I work my first sign, if I work this first miracle, my life is no longer mine that I will begin my public ministry and I will begin my path to death. And so you'll no longer be my mother, but you'll be the mother of all that I redeem. Uh, Adam called Eve woman because Eve was the mother of all creation. And so Jesus and likewise responds similarly that he is the the father, the the firstborn son of all that will be redeemed, and Mary will be the fir- the woman mm-hmm. of all that will be redeemed, the mother. And so he says, not my mother, but woman, to complete what was began in Eve. So this is where the promise of the father of of the father in the garden is now mm-hmm. in our midst. Yeah. So this is the first act of Jesus in his public ministry. And so whenever Jesus begins his public ministry, he begins his mission to be the savior of all. Therefore, begins Mary's mission to be the mother of all, that she's tied up in this too. And I said, I made this in this kind of, um, not analogy, but I've connected the dots of, of our blessed mother. Whenever she brought Jesus to the temple, and the prophet, uh, the high priest Simeon, said, I, Lord, you can take me now. I've seen the Messiah. I can die and be welcomed into Abraham's bosom, right? But first, before, after he says that, he looks at Mary and says, Woe to you. You will have a sword pierce your heart, that you will not be without suffering, that you will have a hand to play in this. And he, there's two words in Greek the sword. The first one, I did forget. And the first one is a short dagger. But the word that Simeon uses in the original is rumphi. Rumphi is a long crescent sword. And that's the word he says for Mary, that a long sword will pierce your heart. You will have much suffering. And this is the first step to that where this wa- this water becomes wine and later that wine will become blood. And so it's the first sign of John's gospel. Uh, and Jesus says, woman, my hour has not yet come. He said, if you're ready for me to begin this, Mary, know that you're not only my mother, but the mother of all that I will be redeemed. And so I call you woman. And that's kind of just an introduction into it. There's a deep significance. Uh, on why they bring water instead of just nothing 
or, you know, but Jesus coming from the distance into the wedding. And so there's the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church find a lot of meaning in this very first sign of John. Interesting. And I find it interesting also, and we've kind of been talking about it, but just we haven't clearly stated it, is Mary initiates the first miracle, mm-hmm. you know, um, with a simple like I also love like how it teaches us how to pray. Right. Oftentimes we go to Jesus and tell him what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Mary just presents the problem. Yeah. And her last words, do whatever he tells mm-hmm. you. Yep. She didn't say, hey, you need to you need to figure this out. Yeah. She just said, here's the problem. Right. Yeah. And she trusted that he would he would have a solution, you know, and I think oftentimes in prayer, when we come to our Lord, like we know the problem and we feel like we have the solution and we feel like our solution is probably better than anything that he could ever do. Right. Instead of just trusting that he's good and he has a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, our prayer can often be. It could come off as self-centered. Mm. Then I'm constantly, I'm mean, just kind of explaining. Um, I'm, I'm constantly talking, but it's important that once we kind of list, do this laundry list, that we listen. Because God has something he wants to tell us. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of noise that can drown out the voice of God. Most of that noise, all of that noise comes from within me. That the outside noise, I can, God can speak over that. The internal noise, that's that's the noise we need to drop. We need to quiet the voice of, mm. so that we can hear God's whisper. Yeah, because God doesn't yell at us; He has a loving tone. So, a cramped that gospel, um, mm. filled with a lot of images and filled with an invitation on how to pray. And so, if you're at a point in your life right now where you're trying to figure out prayer or maybe your new new year's resolution was to become more regimented in your prayer and you just don't know what that looks like you don't know what that feels like um i would invite you to um ask mary to teach you to pray oh a powerful prayer mm-hmm. and there's uh i'll say this there's one prayer that i think never fails ever Ask our Lord in your own prayer. Ask our Lord to send you some suffering to to redeem a soul, mm. to save a soul. Now, be very careful. That's a dangerous prayer because our Lord will honor that because he's our Lord is looking for workers in the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And there's very few people that want to work in the vineyard. Working in the vineyard is saving souls. And so to redeem souls, there needs to be some some share in our Lord's passion. I think of the fifth station of the cross where Simon the Cyrene helps Jesus carry his cross. Mm-hmm. That our Lord has left a portion of suffering for us to take. And so if I want to help redeem souls, I need to help share in Christ's cross. And so... That is a very powerful prayer. If someone doesn't believe in the power of prayer or that God doesn't hear our prayers, pray that one. <laughs> but it is a, be careful. God will honor that. Sure. What else, Father? The big image I, that I feel that's there is that Christ 
they brought whenever they brought those empty stone jars six of them right every number is very significant six stone jars 180 gallon or each one holding 30 all of these numbers mean something mm -hmm. john the gospel of john is like rift with old testament remember in high school you didn't think that you'd ever use math <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like the god because the gospel of john is like you're walking through it in every sentence you step on an old testament reference mm -hmm. uh and so we could really go down the rabbit hole with the gospel of john and old testament um significance but one image i want to pull out is how jesus says go fill them with water and then bring them to me. And then Jesus blesses it, or, and then Jesus turns it into wine. Well, why didn't Jesus just fill them up with wine? Why didn't he just kind of like snap his fingers and then transform nothing into wine? I mean, he could absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. Why did he make these servants go and work? Because this is a big stone jar. Can you imagine a stone jar that could hold 30 gallons? It would take five men to pick that up. Uh, each one. And you fill it up with water. Man, you just increase the weight times two, mm -hmm. at least. And so, why is Jesus asking them to do this? Instead of just performing the miracle. God requires our cooperation. If we want God to be a part of our life. I said this in my homily, and it's important that everyone never forgets this. Grace builds on nature. That if I want God's grace to stick in my life, then I need to have a good nature. What so an example for that. Father, I've just been I've been lacking in my prayer. I've been struggling more and more with this sin or these these sins that have been habitual in my life and I'm just going down the rabbit hole, I don't know what to do. And so one of my first questions is like, Well, are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? Are you eating healthy? Are you eating at the right times? Do you have healthy outlets for stress? All of these things are very natural to a human being. But if I start removing these things that are essential for my nature, right, that I need to be a, a productive and functional human being, then what am I expecting God's grace to do? To make me not a human? And that I could function off of no sleep or no outlets for stress or, or no support system? And so I need a good nature if God's grace is going to stick with me. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time when people, you know, bring these litany of, of whatever's to me, the solution is not some miraculous miracle, but that they start getting enough sleep, that they actually plan out their day, that they eat healthy or start exercising or, you know, these things that just change the way that they go to work. Yeah. Just simple things. Yeah. Right? Very simple. But that changes you you as a human being my nature is good my human nature is good therefore god's grace will stick a lot longer and it will build up much higher grace builds on nature they bring water the water is my human nature they fill it up and god turns it to something divine his grace right the wine the joy the joy of the holy spirit mm. uh but Grace is grace and not magic. Bingo. Bingo. A great saying. And so that grace 
me living this divine life requires testing, suffering, that I am doing it for God and not just so I can get rich or, you know, only so I can be happy or I'm doing, I love God's gifts and not God. Mm. There we go. And so that's why this wine, this water that turns to wine, the wine must turn to blood. And so every love, true love, endures some type of suffering. Every true love endures some type of cross. Because God needs to test to see if you're serious about this, right? To love when it's easy, anyone can do that. Like Jesus says, you love your friends. I say even the pagans do that. Mm -hmm. But to love your enemies, that's that's the mark of a Christian. And so... Christ is saying with this first sign, this first miracle that begins his public life, that you bring me your human nature and I will make it divine. Right? I will be with you. This grace builds on nature. But in my last sign, I will show you that if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross. That the wine, the joy, must undergo some type of suffering if it wants to be purified mm-hmm. and made divine. Right, before there's a resurrection, there's always a cross. Yep. And so that is a big sign, or a big symbol that's used in this uh, this gospel. I like it a how, lot in this gospel. How how applicable is that to marriage? Mm. Right. That's another a whole another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, but you're right. Uh, the, and to life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, in order for grace to take root and effect in our life the grace from the sacraments the grace in everyday moments the grace that god gives us we have to be willing to cooperate with it right mm-hmm. just like in marriage in order for the marriage we have to be willing to sacrifice we have to be a, willing to be selfless we have to be a, be willing to get out of the way swallow our pride I, i'm sorry i'm talking to myself right now <laughs> but um but yeah yeah, the, uh, how often every marriage begins is we call it the honeymoon phase, right? And that's kind of a, a big job of mine is that like during marriage prep and stuff like that, in a good and, and, and decent and uh, gentle way to pop that bubble. Because a lot of couples think that they will, like, you know, the suffering's behind them. You know, they got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. And this sound, I know this sounds crazy to couples that are married, but when I tell you, I would say about 99% of the couples I meet with truly believe that. That, you know, they will never undergo some suffering or some test or trial that will really test their faith with each other yeah and that's just that's just not going to happen that um you know this wine this joy this honeymoon phase must undergo some trial if it wants to be true love because true love is represented on the cross and so i need to endure my cross couples i said my homily i've never met a couple that has been married 50 60 years and they said you know they never got in an argument or they never endured they agreed on everything i said that's just to me that oh i like i don't think that's that can be the case but i mean how sad that would be yeah if a couple never had to undergo the cross because the cross to love the cross that is that is truly divine uh, and to suffer with each other for each other. I say in a lot of my marriage homilies that marriage is a two-sided coin. 
and it requires both sides. The first is forgiveness. The second is self-sacrifice. Every marriage, if it wants to be fruitful, and if it wants to stay together, requires that two-sided coin of forgiveness and self-sacrifice. Mm, how true is that? Well, this is a great episode, Father. The wedding at Cana, the first sign of John's gospel where he begins his public ministry. He makes 180 gallons of wine, which is why Jesus and I are cool. Yeah, well, look, he... He... Uh, he, he shows us that marriage is a sacrament, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of how you end it. Um, we, we see that Mary can teach us how to pray and that she can also intercede on our behalf. Just so much. And then not, that's not to recap all the images that come from the Old Testament. Yeah, that, no. This, <laughs> anything from John is, is just, you're taking on a lot. Well, he's got a good name. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not complete, though. You know? Sure, yeah. Um, are you back in town this weekend? or? So, yes, I'll be. Uh, I'm coming back from the March for Life late uh, Saturday night, and then I have uh, the two su- Sunday morning masses. 730? 7.30? 7.30 and the 9. Oh, and then I'm helping out Father Chester Arsenault is uh, undergoing surgery soon for a hip replacement. Uh, so we'll keep them all in prayer. But with that, I'm helping out at St. John of the uh, Cathedral a Sunday afternoon. Okay. Cool. We'll save travels and uh, look forward to getting you back here this weekend. And for all of you listening, uh, have a great rest of your week and we'll see you at Mass this weekend. God bless. It's good to be back. God bless, everyone. Bon. How long was that one? Uh, 33 minutes. That would felt like it flew by. I, well, I was watching the. You have a. Um, You have a uh, nine o'clock. Oh yeah, okay. I thought you were saying like a day before. <laughs>